From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Hello, I'm Scott Soshner. And I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we begin with a story that you guys broke on Facebook, and it involves MLB and... <laughs> I think a lot of people in the daytime are going to lose a lot of work productivity this time. So let's explain what this is all about. Yeah, Facebook has granted exclusive, and that's the important part of this deal. It's not that Facebook is just showing games. It's exclusive. That means these games will not appear on RSNs. You cannot watch it on MLB TV. The only place you can see these games is on Facebook. Mostly Wednesday afternoon games, 1 o'clock, some Thursdays. They'll come out month by month with the schedule. But for the first time, a major U.S. league has told a social network, we will give you games ex exclusively. This is that march away from television. This is a big deal. It's a big leap, and it's only going to continue. It's funny. We talk so much about companies like Facebook and Twitter getting into the live sports rights. I didn't realize that we hadn't reached that exclusive level yet. Certainly a big deal. It also shows that I mean, we talk about the end of these TV contracts as, as a major point in, in sports media. You can already find clever ways to chip out little pieces of the TV contracts for these digital companies already. You don't need to wait until the end of your of your TV deal to do it. You can find a way to work with everybody and create a d digital exclusive already in 2018. I know this sounds silly, but I think one of the biggest things about this, these are daytime games. What I'm getting at is people that are at work, quote unquote, trying to sneak watching the ball game or wherever they're out in the daytime, this is a huge advantage. Yeah, if you get a chance to be at your desk and watch it, although most people, even if it was on sort of their RSN, you have your apps where you can watch game streaming on your phone or your iPad. But this certainly makes it easy on your office computer. You wonder, do more offices start blocking Facebook? I, I don't know what the numbers are now, but if they start to see a dip in productivity on Wednesday afternoons at 1 o'clock Eastern time, and also here, MLB is going to produce these games. So it'll be a broadcast quality show on Facebook, but you're going to see that experimentation that the platform brings. You're going to see things like social interaction, stats. It's going to be a broadcast for the user of that platform, which, as we know, skews younger. Baseball can surely use that because they have the average age of the viewer for baseball higher than any other of the big three or big four sports. This is another way for them to sort of bring that number down and connect with a group of fans that perhaps doesn't watch baseball all the time and doesn't go to stadiums. Worth mentioning that we're about a year since Mark Zuckerberg said on a Facebook earnings call that they were not going to pursue big money sports rights. Uh, they obviously, this is not a, a massive deal from a, a dollars and cents standpoint, 
but it does certainly show that Facebook is interested in, in, in the most premium rights that, that America has to offer. Well, let's say it's twice. about a million dollars a game. They're paying about 30 to $35 million for a package of 25 games. So it shows you where it, it sort of falls in. See, this is the thing, too, is that people say, oh, the ratings are slipping for baseball, football, basketball, hockey. It's not the ratings itself. It's how you watch it. That seems to be the big issue. I may get a call from Adam Silver if I don't jump in and say the ratings for the NBA are up, Michael Barr. That's right. I'm, I'm saying that. <laughs> but that's my point. It's like the, the ratings go up, but again, it's it's how you watch it. It seems like viewership in general. I mean, prime time is down. You look at all the award shows are plummeting. Yeah, viewership on TV for the most part it's all coming down, and we have to keep things in context. Every time someone talks about the NFL and the 8%, 10%, whatever it is, Monday night, to, uh, Thursday night, you have to keep in context. They're still the most watched program, and the dip is less than the everything else around it, than primetime in general. It's important to keep that in perspective. Let's talk about another topic, and this is from Bloomberg Law. Sports teams may face higher upfront taxes on player trades as a result of the Republican tax overhaul and unexpected consequence of restrictions imposed by the new law. Let's talk about There that. is so much in this tax law that affects... Raise your hand if you're a tax expert. Yeah, that, that affects uh, sports teams. We, we've certainly talked about the, the college revenue piece of this. Uh, there are agent fees that, that players used to be able to write off that they can't write off anymore. Uh, this story applies to uh, tax on player trades, as you said, Michael. So if the Yankees and the Red Sox were to make a deal uh, in the past... Uh, they did not pay tax on the exchange of goods because they were essentially of equal value. That appears to be changing in this new tax law. Uh, none of us are tax experts. I won't get into the weeds on it. Uh, but it does call into question whether or not in the future uh, this may be a factor in a lot of maybe the, not the big deals, but maybe in your smaller deals, whether teams are going to be as willing to, to pull the trigger on those deals in the future if they do have to pay a fee on top of it. But we are all homeowners here, and there is something in real estate called a like-kind exchange where if you take the profits from sale of one piece of property and roll it into another one within a certain time period, then the, the, the gain is tax-free. So there is sort of precedent for this type of thing. Yeah, but you do wonder what kind of chilling effect it might have. The article you read, Michael, did say that there have been some inquiries from professional sports teams already saying, what's the impact and how much is this going to cost me? And anytime the bottom line is impacted, general managers want to know, CEOs want to know, and it's going to be interesting to see if this really has a marked effect on players moving around. It's worth worth noting also the reporting that I've done in, in the college space on this on this tax law. A, a lot of people are saying taxes are easy to get around. We just need to find the next loophole. The other way to classify in this case this player trade in a way that makes it tax deductible. So I would imagine that there is also a lot of work being done to see how else you can file a, a trade differently on a on a balance sheet? Whatever the whatever the process is to maybe find a new way of making this tax free. You just read my mind. I was wondering, <laughs> are we going to see a lot of players as LLCs now? Yeah, he's, who knows what the what the process is going to be like? Maybe you, I don't know, you 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 do one and then the other. There's there's probably going to be a way that teams can get around this. Let's talk about Grant Hill and Mountain Dew. I love to talk about Grant Hill, one of my favorites, uh, <laughs> friendly with Grant. And this is an interesting one that Grant, as we know, works for CBS and Turner. 
Coke is a sponsor of the NCAA tournament, yet Grant has chosen to appear in a commercial for Mountain Dew, a rival, kind of poking fun at the protectionism that goes around March Madness. From what we're reading, this doesn't sit too well with the folks at Coke. Yeah, I think Grant got called to the principal's office. This is so silly. This feels so ridiculous to me. Coke, obviously, they pay a lot for it. They get that value, right? They're, they're, you've been to these games. You can't walk onto the court with a Pepsi bottle. They'll take it out. They'll pour it into a Coke yeah. bottle and give, give it back to you. Coke gets a lot of it. The protections are there. But the fact I like that, the press conferences when yeah, they put the Coke exactly. down. Exactly. Yeah. But the fact that Grant Hill, who is on air with, with, during this tournament, can't sign. A, I mean, he obviously can. But, but the fact that they'd be upset that he would sign a deal with a competitor and appear in an ad that guerrilla marketing for whatever it's worth that, that kind of touches on on the whole thing i find that to be ridiculous well this is my attempt to get nascar into this <laughs> uh, several years ago there was a fight because some drivers are sponsored by coke and some drivers are sponsored by pepsi the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the carter economic forum powered by bloomberg Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. But NASCAR had a deal with a particular soft drink company. Uh, and help my memory here for a second, but they would put a large Gatorade bottle on top of the car when they would go in victory lane. But when the driver came out of the car, they would literally knock it off the, the roof of the car because they're sponsored by an opposing uh, soft drink company. I see that happening more and more, but I would say in NASCAR that is so brand attached to drivers, to cars, where we know that the customers are more brand loyal than some of the other sports, I could see those guys being uber, ultra protective of the folks who pay their bills. And Grant's not walking onto courtside to do interviews with a Mountain Dew tie-on. You know, he's, he's not taking it onto the court, onto the, the actual field of play. This is just an ad that's airing on sports channels a, around during the NCAA tournament. I mean, it just feels so... It feels ridiculous to me that Coke would be this upset about it. I get it. I get it. If you if you want a property, you want to own the property. You don't want any infringement on that property. And Grant is synonymous these days with the NCAA tournament. And now if it creates sort of a brand confusion in the eyes of consumers, you know, Grant did what was good for Grant. But, I don't know if it was good for Coke. But you don't think this is the only instance out there in sports media where uh, an on-air broadcaster or color guy has a endorses another product that is also a competitor of the of the rights holder in the sport he's broadcasting right this must happen all the time especially for former players like grant hill who have a brand in and of themselves that goes beyond just being in the booth i just don't know if it's somebody as high profile as grant in an event as high profile where they sell sponsorship to the ladder you use to climb up and count and cut down the net that's all Get your money, Grant. Get your money. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of the NCAA, uh, it is tournament time, folks. And I don't want to get into, well, why did this team make it? Why did this team did not make it? But I do want to bring in a point about three teams that did not make it. Louisville, Oklahoma State, and USC. They were left out of the field. But 
there's a connection. I know where you're going here. Between these three teams, they're also under the FBI investigation into what's happening uh, in the NCAA. Let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, those are three of the six schools that that were involved in in the original uh, FBI uh, allegations that came out a few months ago, back in October. Uh, I think it would be very cynical to think that they were uh, eliminated from contention in this tournament. Uh, because of the fact that they are under investigation. We now know that there are a lot of schools, including probably dozens that are in the tournament already right now, that are also indicted or implicated in some capacity in, in, in this FBI investigation. Uh, but yes, yeah, certainly interesting that the, the three schools that were on the bubble that didn't end up making it in uh, also had assistant coaches who were arrested uh, back in October. I would be lying to you and everybody listening if I pretended to be able to tell the record of any of those teams that you just talked about. <laughs> I do not know whether they deserve to be in on merit. I have zero idea. I will leave that screaming to Dick Vitale. Um, but you'd have to wonder if the outside influence played some role in that executive meeting that are locked up in that hotel where they decide... Uh, because it only will invite more conversation about things they don't want to talk about. Are, are you guys going to have a bracket and fill out brackets? <laughs> yes, I'm going to fill <laughs> I filled out a lot of brackets. That's the problem. It's so. certainly <laughs> worth noting that this may be the final NCAA tournament that we have uh, such heavy restrictions on legalized sports gambling uh, in, in America. As we get closer and closer to the Supreme Court decision, which could allow New Jersey and then a handful of other states to follow suit and legalize sports gambling. March Madness could look a lot different for, for, for the traditional uh, fan across the country next year. The American Gaming Association says $10 billion is going to be wagered illegally on the NCAA tournament here in America, and only 3% of that, so about $300 million, is going to happen in Las Vegas. You know, these are huge money. We've already talked about the, the impact that this could have across sports. Uh, but this could be the last NCAA tournament where that bracket you're filling out if you're doing it for money uh, is technically breaking the law and i got to talk about this and my apologies to chris rock tiger woods that tiger went tiger because he he came in second i didn't know where you were going <laughs> <laughs> i liked it Woo. he came in i mean he missed it by one stroke i you ready for here? Here you go, Bar. This will describe it. I, fair to say, no indictment of golf, PGA Tour, not my thing on a regular basis. However, in the new world that we live in, I was checking my Twitter feed, and I saw, hey everybody, Tiger is one stroke back through 17. So, with the ability and having been near Wi-Fi, to launch my uh, Spectrum app, I popped on that final hole to watch Tiger. Fill in anybody else's name one stroke back in 17 on the whatever the name tournament is. I don't care. But it was Tiger, and I wanted to see if he could force a playoff or possibly win this thing. I now know what Valspar is. It's a Valspar. That's yeah. the other Valspar. <laughs> Worked out very well for gotta Valspar. Be, that's got to be on somebody's NASCAR, right? That's your advertising yeah. dollars at work right there. I, I now know what Valspar is. All of this ahead of the Masters. Oh, my. Here we go for the ratings. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soschnick and Evan Novi-Williams. We're here each and every Monday and Friday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports industry. 
You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.